All right, well, hey, welcome to Sojourn Church. Glad you're here gathered with us this morning. Uh, my name is Justin, and I'm the lead pastor here, and we are just grateful uh, to be able to be together to open up God's Word this morning uh, to see what He would have to say to us as a church today. So if you need a Bible, you can go ahead and just raise your hand, and uh, somebody will bring a Bible around to you so that you can read along with us. So just keep your hand up till they find you. And if you uh, don't own a Bible, we'd love to give that to you as a gift so you can take that home and read it uh, throughout the week. You know, something I find interesting about human beings, about us, is that there are certain things that can happen to pretty much anyone, and we all have the same basic reaction to it. I mean, if you're sitting in a room reading a book, it's very quiet, uh, or you're sitting somewhere and you're quiet, and all of a sudden a really loud noise happens, all of us tend to jump when we hear that. It's kind of an involuntary action that all of us typically will do. If you've been inside and then you walk outside on a really bright day or someone shines a bright light in your eyes, all of us tend to squint our eyes or try to shade our eyes. All of us have these seemingly uncontrollable things, reactions we have to certain circumstances and situations. I'm sure there's lots of other things that we could think about that for most of us, most human beings, that we react in a similar way. Well, today is our third Sunday in a sermon series called Scent. And we're spending seven weeks digging into the scriptures and looking at what God has called us to do as his church, as the local church, to be on mission with the gospel in our local context. In our city, in this area, in this region, what God has called us to do to be ambassadors for Jesus, to go out and tell people about Jesus. We're called to be on mission for Jesus, to be disciples who make more disciples by telling everyone around us about him, that he is Lord and he comes to give salvation to those who will turn to him. Now, while Jesus has called us, while he's commissioned us to go and make disciples all around us to everyone that we come across who doesn't know Christ and he empowers us to do that work, we have to understand that we realize that it's difficult sometimes. It can be challenging. It's not always going to be easy. It's not going to be easy because we're going to face resistance. It isn't going to be easy because of the weakness of our own flesh. We're timid. We're scared. We're apathetic. It isn't going to be easy because we can't do it on our own. We can't just decide as a church, let's just, let's just do this. Let's just try harder and go make this happen. We can't do it on our own. So what is our natural, natural reaction to this? When the difficulty of mission comes to us and we realize that, what is our natural reaction Well, the early church and the disciples, they encountered this difficulty with being on mission. And this morning, I think we can look at an instance of this and learn from them. We can learn about how they respond, how they continue to seek to be obedient to Jesus' call to go and make disciples. And we too can learn from that so that we can go and make disciples in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in our workplaces, in schools. And so as we look at the word this morning, I hope that it's encouraging to us to help us to press forward so that all of us can live, if we are in Christ, we can live as sent ones. I want to see people come to know Jesus here in Fairfax in Northern Virginia. I long for us to see that take place and I long for our church to truly engage and participate in this mission, not to sit on the sidelines waiting for other people and for other things to take place, but that we would be engaged in the mission of God. So let's pray this morning before we jump into the word and ask God to continue to do this work in us. Father, we, we thank you that it is clear in your scriptures that you've called us to engage in mission. 
that Jesus has commissioned to his disciples, his first disciples, is the same commission he gives us today as his church. They were faithful to that call. Lord, help us to be faithful to that call. Lord, we want to walk in obedience. We want to be a faithful church who loves the gospel, who cherishes the good news of Jesus, but doesn't just stay in our hearts in a, in a place of worship, but it overflows in our lives as we tell more people about Christ. Lord, we pray, we continue to ask that you would mold and shape us through your word and the spirit in our life. And we pray and ask, Lord, that you would call people to yourself, that we would see people all around us who don't yet know you, trust in Christ. Give them ears to hear, Lord. Give them eyes to see. And we pray that you just allow us to be a part of seeing that take place. So, Lord, as we open up the word again this morning, I pray that you would bring conviction. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you'd encourage us, that you would mobilize us, that we would be fired up today because of what your word calls us to do. And so we give this time to you now and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll go ahead and open up your Bible to Acts chapter 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. Acts is after the Gospel of John and before the book of Romans, if you're flipping to find it. And we're going to be in chapter 4 of the book of Acts. So go ahead and flip over there. Luke is the author of Acts. And this is what he says in Luke chapter, I mean Luke chapter 4, in Acts chapter 4, uh, verse 23. Luke writes this. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus." And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now we need a little bit of context about what's going on here in this section of Acts. In verse 23, it's kind of a a transition verse. It says that when they were released, they went back to their friends and told them what had been said to them. So, So what's going on? Who are the people that Luke is writing about? What's the deal here? Well, a lot has happened since Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father and left the disciples. And the Holy Spirit has come as Jesus promised it would. And the church has continued to grow. More and more people were turning away from trusting in themselves. Turning away from trusting in the world and instead turning to trust in Christ. Believing that they needed a rescuer and then believing that Jesus was the rescuer who had come for them. The disciples have been making disciples. One day, Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples and followers who spent a whole lot of time with him, were going to the temple because often the church would gather in the courtyard of the temple. They were going to the temple and God did a miraculous thing. He used Peter and John to heal a man who had been crippled from birth. 
Peter, Peter says to this man, I, I, I don't have gold or silver to give you, but what I do have, I give to you freely. In the name of the Lord Jesus, stand up and walk. And this man who's been crippled from birth stands up and walks. You can imagine there's all these people gathered around the temple, both believers and non-believers, and they are a little bit intrigued by this. This man who the scriptures say is in his 40s, who they've seen always at the temple begging, is now walking. You'd imagine people would be a little bit blown away by that. Well, Peter sees an opportunity. He's already preached one sermon and seen 3,000 people trust in Christ. And he sees another opportunity. There's all these people gathered around and he has an attentive audience. And so he preaches again. And he preaches and teaches about Jesus. He calls this group of people to repent, to turn away from their sin and their self-focus and to believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. But the religious leaders, they don't like it. The same religious leaders who had instigated the crucifixion of Christ were annoyed by Peter and John. They were annoyed that they were going around preaching in the name of Christ. They were seeing people healed in the name of Christ. And so they have Peter and John arrested. But Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Man, the church is exploding Peter preaches two sermons and there's at least 5,000 people who turn away from their sin and self-focus and turn to trust in Jesus. God was saving people. God is pursuing his people through his people. Disciples were making disciples. But the religious leaders, again, they didn't like what was going on. They wanted to question Peter and John. But Peter tells them what's going on. He communicates to them Christ must be preached because salvation and redemption are found in Christ alone. In verse 12 of chapter 4, he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter says the reason we're preaching Jesus is because if salvation and redemption is going to come, it's only going to come through Jesus. Peter is bold in front of the same people who came after Jesus. The same people who he once was fearful of, locked behind a closed door in a room after Jesus was crucified. Well, they still don't like that Jesus is being preached. So they tell Peter and John, look, you can't do it anymore. Don't don't evangelize anymore. Don't tell people the gospel anymore. Don't tell people about Jesus anymore. And I love Peter's response. In verses 19 and 20 of chapter 4, he says, but, but he says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Man, that's boldness. He's been arrested. Someone's told him not to do something. He basically looks them back in the face and says, no, I'm not going to listen to you because God's called me to something different. And why can he have this boldness? Because as we talked about in the first week of this series, he's seen the risen Lord. He's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The resurrection of Jesus is the fuel for the mission of God's people. Everything has changed for him. The leaders can't do a whole lot at this moment. They haven't really broken any laws. They haven't done anything really wrong. And so they have to let them go, but they continue to to threaten them. To give threats to say, you can't keep preaching the gospel And this is where we pick up in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Peter and John, among after they get released from prison, after they're let go, they go to be among God's people. They go back to gather with the church. Not in a building. It's not about that. Not an organization, but their family, their community, their brothers and sisters. 
See, one thing we need to see in all of this, a, a important piece that we're going to continue to talk about is that community, the community of the church, of God's people, is key to the mission of God. And Peter and John, they go back and they say to them, look, the leaders told us not to tell people about Jesus. Now, what's the response of these people? What's the response of this church that's gathered together? Do they get angry and frustrated and mad? Do they form a political action committee or write an op-ed piece in the local paper? Do they picket or boycott the religious leaders? Do they hide or give up or find something different to do? No, it says that they pray. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. See, their natural response to the difficulty of the mission of God, of making disciples in a hostile world, is to pray. They go to God. They talk to God. It's his mission. He's the one who so loved the world that he sent his only son. Let's go to him. So they lift their voices to him. And they do it together. This is a community that is formed by the gospel. This is a community that's been shaped by the gospel. It's a community that's grounded in the gospel, who's striving to live out the implications of the gospel and is now burdened to share the message of the gospel. And they are marked by prayer. They don't devise a plan. They don't have a strategic meeting to figure out what they're going to do. They go to the God whose mission it is. The God who's in control of all things. The God who is redeemer and desires to save people from sin and death. And I love how they pray, what they pray about. Verses 24 through 28, we see some of the content of their prayer. They say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. There's a lot going on here, some important things that we need to take note of. I think we as the American church can learn from the content of the prayer of this early church. Right away, the people together are praying and acknowledging the sovereignty and the providence of God in all things. They start off saying, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. When they call God the sovereign Lord, they're acknowledging that he is master and ruler over all things. He has complete authority and control over all things. He's the one who made heaven and earth. He's the sustainer of everything. Who else would you want to pray to? Who else has that kind of power and authority? And then they pray scripture. They quote part of Psalm 2. They acknowledge that through David, God made it clear that the nations would rage against him and rage against his rescuer, the Messiah, Jesus. See, Psalm 2, I think, is a picture of the conspiracy of the nations against God and his son. It's a conspiracy against and it culminates in the crucifixion of Jesus. But its effects, the same sentiments of the nations in this time period are still present today. We live in a growing post-Christian environment here in the U.S. In a book called Everyday Church, the authors call this life at the margins. 
that the church at one point in time in our culture used to be kind of the center, the hub of everything in our culture, but it's been pushed out to live life at the margins. It doesn't have the same influence it once did. It's just like how the church was in Acts chapter 4. And I think this is a very, very good thing for the mission of God here. And we're going to talk about why that is over the next few weeks. But what we need to see in the content of the prayer so far is such a good reminder to us. And it's this, that against all of the antagonistic actions of the religious leaders, of the societal leaders against the church and against Jesus, the disciples knew that God was sovereign, that God was in control. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to save the world. And he decreed before the foundation of the world that his son would go and lay down his life on behalf of God's people. Jesus himself said, no one takes my life from me unless I lay it down willingly. The the disciples here are praying, acknowledging, look, God, I, I know these people are threatening us. I know they threatened Jesus. They crucified Jesus. But that's not outside of your control. Everything is within your hands. No one at any time can thwart the plans of God. The religious leaders of the land have told the disciples not to preach the gospel, but the disciples are praying to the only one who has ultimate control, and he's told them to do just the opposite. Man, we should praise God for that. That when they were threatened to stop preaching the gospel, that they didn't, but instead they went to God to ask for help to do it. You today, if you know Christ, are a recipient of their obedience. Because they continue to go forward. They continue to preach the gospel. They went to the God who loves the world and sent his son to die for it and asked for help. They acknowledge that God controls all things and then they ask God to do something. In verse 29 it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This is so key for us who are called to be ambassadors for Jesus as well. They don't pray against those who are persecuting them. They don't ask God for protection. They don't ask him to make it easier for them. They don't pray for wisdom to know whether or not they should continue on in the mission. They don't ask God if they should go somewhere else where people might be more open to the gospel and hospitable to them. It doesn't seem like those things even cross their mind. They pray for boldness in light of the threats They pray for boldness to speak God's word, to preach the gospel. They ask God to help them be faithful to what he's called and commissioned them to do. Again, why would they do that? Why is that the content of their prayer? Because they understand grace. Because they understand the grace of God they've received in their own life. And they look around out at the city of Jerusalem. Even the religious leaders who are ridiculing them and threatening them. And their heart breaks for those people. They say, I've experienced grace and I want more people to experience grace. So God, give us boldness to speak the name of Jesus to people so that more people might know him. They don't complain. They don't malign those authorities who've told them not to talk about Jesus. They pray to God that he would give them boldness to go out and tell more people the good news. This church prays for boldness, but they also pray boldly. They ask ask God to do things that only he can do. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're saying, God, do ridiculous things. God, do mind-blowing things. Awaken people to the reality of who Christ is. Make him unavoidable. 
Do things that demand a response so that more people might be saved from their sin and truly know you. And they pray that God would do bold things. They pray boldly that God would do these things in the midst of asking him for boldness. And what happens? It says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God honored their prayer. The Spirit fills them up once more and empowers them to do what they prayed for. And they continue to speak the word of God. They continue to proclaim and preach the gospel to everyone around them with boldness. And God continued to call people to himself through the bold witness of his people, his church. Acts chapter 5, verses, verse 14 says, And more than ever, more than ever, at this point in time, 5,000 at least men have come to know Christ. And it says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. He doesn't even give a number anymore. He can't keep track anymore. Because so many people are repenting and turning to trust in Christ. More disciples were made as a direct result of their praying for boldness, praying boldly and seeing God be faithful to the prayer of his people. And God desires to save people and he's faithful to do this through the faithfulness of his people. Sojourn, I am calling us to be engaged in the mission of God because Jesus has called us to be engaged in the mission of God. It's not optional for us. We can't say that we are a church and have a different mission than making disciples. That's what we're called to do, to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching everyone to obey all that the Lord has commanded, knowing that Jesus goes with us. Disciples, by nature, make more disciples. And there are people all around us, every single day, who don't yet know Christ. We are called to take the gospel to them That's why this church is here. We are a church that is in Fairfax to be a beacon of the gospel. That we can send each other out every week in our gathering on Sunday. That we can send each other out every week from community group and say, let's go. Let's go out and tell more people about Jesus. Let's live a life that exemplifies that Jesus is Lord. Do we cower or hide when things become difficult in our post-Christian context? How how are we going to respond? What is our natural reaction when we come up against resistance? And we are going to come up against resistance. Jesus said that we would be resisted, that people are not going to like the message of the gospel. So what's our response going to be? Complaining? Retreating? Giving up? Moving away? Redefining what our mission actually is? No, see, when we understand the resurrection of Jesus when we are empowered by his spirit, when we genuinely love lost people, losing sleep over the fact that there's people around us that don't know Christ, then we are compelled to pray together, to pray for boldness and to pray boldly. See, too often I don't pray for boldness in my own life. I don't pray boldly. I don't pray for those around me that I know don't know Christ yet. I don't pray that God would do crazy things that only he can clearly do. And God's been challenging me on this. He's been pressing me on this, that I am not prayerful as much as I should be in in leading this church to be prayerful. But I think it comes back to the same heart issues that we talked about last week. I don't care about other people. I can be so apathetic and I care way more about my own life, my own comfort. And secondly... I think the reality sometimes for me is I just don't believe that God can do crazy things anymore. 
That when I ask God that he would save my neighbors, that I would ask God that he would stir up our church, that we would see revival take place. I, I don't pray for that often because I think in the back of my mind and my heart, I don't really believe that God wants to do that. But he has the ability to. I think culture has won out. But man, I've said this before and I think it's worth saying again as a challenge to us about what it is that we pray about. If God answered all of your prayers for the last week the way that you wanted him to answer them, would anything change in the world around you or only in your world? The frequency of our praying, the content of those prayers, they reveal so much about what we believe, what we truly believe about God and what we believe is most important in this life. But man, I want God to change Fairfax I want God to change Northern Virginia because of the gospel going out faithfully through the people of God in this area, through our church, through other churches. That's why we pray for other churches every week because we know that we are in in, in part of something bigger than just this little church. We want to see the gospel go out to change the culture of this area. We want to see revival take place in our city. I want to see him change this church, mold and shape this church. But in order for that to take place, We have to be a praying church. And again, I don't feel like we have been a praying church. This church has been gathering together for almost a year and a half. And as I think about what marks our church, prayer is not the thing that comes to the top of my mind. And so I need to repent of that. To to ask for God's grace and forgiveness that I haven't led well in leading our church to pray, but we together are the church. Man, we need to be a praying church. We desperately need to be a praying church because we can't do what God has called us to do if we don't pray. And so by the example of the early church in Acts 4, I want to call us to the same three things that we see them doing. I want to call us to pray for boldness. If we are going to take the gospel to people all around us in this area, we have to be bold And the reason I often don't open my mouth to tell people about Jesus is because I fear man more than I fear God. But you and I can't be bold apart from prayer. We can't be bold apart from the Spirit. If we try to be bold on our own, at best, it's just self-reliance and arrogance. But I want us to pray for boldness, not ease. I want us to pray for boldness, not safety. I don't want us to be arrogant. I don't want us to try and just be right to prove people wrong. I want us to be bold to open our mouth, a humble boldness to open our mouth and tell people about Jesus. The word boldness is about speaking openly, speaking confidently. And where does our confidence come from? Does it come from within ourselves, from getting a good pep talk that you can do it? Paul helps us with this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, Such is the confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul is confident. Paul is bold, not because he's figured everything out, not because he's an eloquent speaker, not because he has a tract that he can hand to people that he thinks this is a really good one. This is really going to work this time. He's bold because of the gospel. He's bold because he understands the gospel. God has commissioned him because Christ is risen and the spirit has come and empowered him. He goes on to say that the message they bring is full of permanent glory. And he says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. 
Sojourn, we have the gospel. The greatest, most important news ever. We have that. We have hope. We can be bold because of the message that we proclaim. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about his glory. And we know that God desires to call people to himself. God has and is and will redeem people created in his image from every tribe, from every language, from every nation. And there are people from every tribe, from every language, and every nation right around us. No human authority or ruler, no spiritual authority or ruler can stop it. That should give us boldness to open our mouths. God's mission will go forward. The early church was marked by boldness, and we again are the recipients of that Man, let's not put these guys up on a pedestal and, not for, and, and forget the fact that these are the same men. These leaders in the church are the same ones who ran from Jesus, who denied Jesus, who were hiding out of fear of the authorities. And what changed for them? They had seen the risen Lord. The resurrection of Jesus is the fuel for mission. They had seen the risen Lord. They'd been empowered by the Spirit. They remembered that Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So it doesn't matter if someone tells me to stop talking about Jesus. Jesus tells me to talk about Jesus. And he says he goes with me. So then go and make disciples. We too can be bold. Not harsh. Not obnoxious. Not arrogant. But humbly bold. Because we recognize that we were dead in our sin, but God made us alive through Christ. But we're going to struggle to do that. We are going to struggle because of our flesh. We're going to struggle because of resistance. We're going to struggle because we can't just do it on our own effort. And so we have to continue to pray consistently for the filling of the Spirit and for the boldness that only God can give us. Man, I want to encourage you to pray for your own heart. That would be your prayer this week, going through this series, that you would pray and ask God for boldness. Maybe you know there's someone right now in your life at your workplace or it's a neighbor or a friend that, that you know doesn't know Christ and your heart breaks for them and you just haven't communicated the gospel to them. Would you pray for boldness, that God would give you boldness to open your mouth, to tell them about Christ because you love them and care for them. Pray for our church. Pray that our church would be marked by boldness. Again, humble boldness because we understand the grace of God in our own life. What you don't need to pray about is whether or not God has called you to be on mission. That's clear. He has placed you where you are right now in your job, in the neighborhood you live in, to be an ambassador for Christ. You don't need to ask God, should I do this? Just say, God, give me boldness to be obedient to this call. God, help us not to fear man and to open our mouths to share the gospel out of love for our neighbor and obedience to you. So let's together pray for boldness as a church, but let's also pray boldly. The church in Acts chapter 4 prayed that God would do signs and miracles. They prayed boldly asking God to do things clearly only he can do. And one of the things that God alone can do is save people. So let's pray that God would do that. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Paul says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. We we talked about this last week that Paul was in anguish, as we saw at the beginning of Romans chapter 9. He's in anguish and sorrow because he looks at people who don't know Christ, his Jewish brothers and sisters, and his heart breaks for them because he loves them and he wants them to know Christ. And then he says, my heart's desire for them and what I pray to God for them is that they would be saved. Praying boldly for those around you 
who don't know Jesus means praying for people that in your mind seem so far away from God, so antagonistic, but praying that God would give them ears to hear and eyes to see. Praying boldly is praying for things that you think sound crazy and ridiculous and unfathomable for God to do. I want us to pray things bold like, God, would you save a hundred people through the ministry of the people of Sojourn Church this year? That, that's a bold prayer to ask God to do that. But would we, would, do we believe that God can do that? One day, 3,000 people come to Christ. A few days later, there's now 5,000 people. What is, maybe we should pray for more than 100 people to come to know Jesus. Man, can we pray boldly that God would do things like that through the people of this church? I want us to pray boldly that true revival would come. That God would wake up sleepy Christians in our church. That people who think that they actually know Christ but don't actually know him would truly be saved. That hard-to-reach people would be dramatically brought to repentance and faith. Let's pray boldly for that to take place. Sojourn, God desires to save people in Fairfax and Northern Virginia. So let's pray bold prayers of faith that he would do that and that he would allow us to be a part of it. You may think, well, wait a minute. Shouldn't we pray for healings and signs and wonders to be performed like the early church did? I mean, that's what they did. That's the bold thing they prayed for. We have to understand God was authenticating the gospel message in that time in history much the same way as he did with Jesus and his ministry. But with that, I think we can pray for signs and wonders to be done. But let's think about it this way. As some early church fathers said, conversion and the transformation of lives by the gospel is the ongoing miracle of the church. I mean, just stop and think about this. If you are spiritually dead and God makes you spiritually alive, you turn away from sin and rebellion against God and you give him your whole life and obedience to him. What's more miraculous than that? God raises dead people to life. That's the miraculous work of God that we should seek after. That's what we should see happening regularly in our church. And it shouldn't be lost on us that that is a miraculous thing that only God can do. Let's pray that that would be a sign and wonder that the person that is so antagonistic to the gospel would repent and believe the gospel and people would be in awe of that. Knowing it's only God that can do that work. So like the church in Acts 4, let's pray for boldness to share the gospel. Let's pray boldly for God to save people. And lastly, let's pray together. We need the community of the church around us because the reality is we are going to struggle at different times to believe that the part that we play in the mission of God really matters. But when we come together to pray together, there's something encouraging about that. There's something challenging and special about it. This past Wednesday night, a little over 60 of us from this church gathered to pray for this. We sat around a room in groups and we prayed for mission. We prayed for revival. We prayed for people we know and we care about and we love who don't know Jesus. We prayed that God would give them ears to hear and give them eyes to see. I sat in a group with three other guys and I was encouraged and emboldened to pray myself as I heard my brothers repent before the Lord, repenting and asking for God's forgiveness for how they've been apathetic towards the gospel and sharing it with others. I was encouraged and emboldened as I heard my brothers crying over people they know that don't know Christ. I was encouraged and emboldened to hear my brothers ask God to do insane things for his glory. 
I was encouraged and emboldened as I heard the prayers of 50-something other people in the room praying for the same things. Knowing that we're sitting in this room praying that God would do things only he could do. And as I drove home that night, driving through the city of Fairfax, back to my house, looking around at the city that God has placed this church in, I was hopeful for what God might do. Sixty people just spent an hour praying that God would do what only he can do. What might God do with the prayers of the saints? What might it look like if we had a hundred people praying? If we had two hundred people praying? What might God do when the saints come before the throne of grace only by the blood of Jesus? And ask the Lord of the harvest to send more workers into the harvest. Us. Asking God to awaken the people of this area to the gospel. I don't know what that might look like, but man, I long to see it. So let's get after it, sojourn. Let's become a praying church that prays boldly, prays for boldness, and prays together that God would be glorified in this city. There's this very specific way to engage in this as a church. I want to call you to do three things that you can jump into right away. And one of those things is to gather together with the church for elder-led prayer. We, We are now gathering on the third Wednesday of every month. An elder-led prayer doesn't mean that just the elders of the church are praying. It means that they're leading the church to pray. And that's what we are called to do, is to lead the church to pray. But we all come together to spend time praying. What else is worth your time than to come together before the throne of God and intercede on behalf of others? So I want to call you to do that. March 19th is the next time we're going to gather together to pray together. I want to encourage you to to make time in your life, in your schedule, to come together with your brothers and sisters and to pray. I also want to encourage you for the rest of this series to pray by name for people you know that don't know Christ. We're going to be preaching for the next four weeks about mission, about different aspects of mission. I want to encourage you to commit to praying daily by name for people you know that don't know Christ. If you've been doing the devotional that we've put together that goes along with this series, then one of the things we've asked you to do is to write down people's names that don't know Jesus, that you want to see come to know Jesus. Would you commit to daily pray for those people by name, to bring them before the Lord, because your heart's desire is that they might be saved. And the last thing I want to call you to is to pray in your community group. Make that a part of what you pray for every week, that you would pray for boldness for yourself, that you'd pray for boldness for your brothers and sisters, and that you together as a group would pray boldly for God to move. We believe in the sovereignty of God over all things at Sojourn. We believe he is in control of all things and that he alone is the originator and the orchestrator and the bestower of salvation. We believe God is the one who gives faith to believe And calls dead men and women to life by his act, by his will, and his power alone. Scripture makes this clear. The church in Acts 4 believed this as you see their prayer. But we also believe at Sojourn because Scripture also makes it clear that we as the church are called to bring the message of salvation to the ears of people. That by doing that, the Spirit would bring it to the hearts of people. Evangelism and mission must be central to the local church, calling all people to repentance and faith, but trusting God with the outcome and results of that call. 
I think this is all the more reason for us to be a praying church that's missionally praying, that's praying with a desire to see people come to know know Jesus. Because we know that God is the author and perfecter of our faith, that he gives grace and life to people, but we're called to take the message so we can go before him and ask him to do that work in us and through us and in our community. So let's go with the message of hope. Let's go with the message of grace and reconciliation that comes through Jesus alone. But let's ask God to help us to do it and ask God to bring new life that only he can bring. Jesus boldly went to the cross. And because of his humble boldness and faithful obedience, you and I can know God. Because of his humble boldness and faithful obedience, you and I can now pray boldly and pray for boldness because God hears us because of what Christ has done for us. We're going to come to the table now, and we do that every week, as a reminder of the cost that Christ endured on your behalf and my behalf. Man, as you come forward this morning to take the cup and to take the bread, let that hit you. That he gave his body, that he shed his blood that your sin might be washed away and that you no longer be called an enemy of God, but a child of God and now an ambassador of Christ. As you eat the bread and drink the cup this morning, rejoice in the glorious truth that Christ has come and he has risen. Amazing grace has been given to you and now you and I get to, we have the privilege to go tell other people about the same amazing grace. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, and you're sitting here, I just want to ask you not to come forward to take communion, but instead just to hang out in your seat. Because when you come forward to take communion, what you're declaring in your actions is that you believe that Jesus is Lord, that you believe that he is the Savior of the world. There's no other way for you to be reconciled to a holy God except through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so instead of coming forward to take communion, if you don't yet believe that, I want you to pray. I don't want you to pray in the same way that I've called the church to pray this morning, but I want you to pray boldly. I want you to pray that God would reveal himself to you. Maybe God's doing that right now, this morning. Maybe God's working in your heart, in your life right now, and you feel the conviction of the Spirit in your life, and God's beckoning you to himself. I want you to respond to that, sitting in your seat this morning, that you turn away from your sin and you turn to Christ believing that he came to rescue you, to save you from your rebellion and reconcile you and redeem you to God. If you have questions about what that means, if you want to pray with someone that maybe you don't even know what to pray, you just want to pray along with someone, have someone pray over you, would you come talk to me afterwards or, or Alan or any of our worship team, anybody that you know is a leader at this church, your community group leader, would you go to them and say, man, I, I'm just wrestling right now. Would you pray with me? Would you pray boldly for me? And those of you that will come forward this morning, you can come forward when you're ready. Maybe you need to hang out in your seat and pray. Maybe you need to repent this morning. Maybe you need to just sit there in awe of God's grace in your life. But whenever you're ready, you can come forward and you can tear off a piece of the bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. Feel free to take it immediately or when you get back to your seat. Sojourn, let's pray. Father, I... Thank you for the fact that we have this example of the early church that you saw fit to use Luke to record 
the life of the early church, to see the gospel go forward, to see your grace go forward, to save people. And Lord, I appreciate the fact, I'm thankful for the fact that we know that many of these early disciples were the same ones who were fearful, who didn't know what was going on, who weren't seeking to walk in obedience to you, but were just hiding in a room. But Lord, you changed everything for them because they knew that Jesus is alive. Lord, help us to believe that this morning. Help us to know that Jesus is alive, that he is Lord over all things, and that he has all authority in heaven and on earth, and that he goes with us as we go out to make disciples. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would make us, that you would mold us and shape us to be a praying church. Lord, forgive us for where we have not done that, where we've sought to do things in our own ability. Lord, forgive us where the content of our prayer has been way more about us and way less about you and your glory. And Lord, we pray that we would be a church that has boldness to open our mouths. Lord, we pray boldly that you would do ridiculous things in this city to bring people to yourself. Lord, I do pray that we would see a hundred people, at least a hundred people come to trust in Christ this year because of the faithfulness of the people of Sojourn Church. Lord, that's not for our glory, that's for your glory. Lord, we pray and ask that you would do that work. Lord, build your church. This is your church. We want to honor you. So help us to do that. Help us to walk in obedience. And we thank you that we're able to do that because of Christ's obedience. We rest in that today. Knowing that we don't earn favor with you by praying. We don't earn favor with you by doing certain things. Lord, we have received favor from you because of Christ's obedience on the cross. So Lord, we rest in that today. And as we come forward this morning, I pray that we'd be encouraged deep in our hearts and in our souls today. And that we'd go out from this place joyful, rejoicing at the reality that Christ has come to rescue the world. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.